when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps, I am uber excited. I have two great guests today. One is a repeat guest and one's a newbie. And uh, they are awesome guys, and they are the author, authors of a book called Good Comes First. And I'd like to introduce Chris Edmonds and Mark Babbitt. And Chris is with Purposeful Culture Group, and Mark is with Work IQ. So, Chris and Mark, how the heck are you guys? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We couldn't be happier to uh, to join you and to, and to do a sizzling podcast. I've I've loved. <laughs> <laughs> the bacon thing. I love it. It does sizzle, right, Mark? You've been on. It so. does. It does. I think this is my, I'm like, I'm like a veteran now. This is my uh, fourth or fifth time, Brian, and I couldn't be happier to be back. Well, it's a pleasure having you back, man. And that's why I invite you back because you always bring the bacon, right? <laughs> so we're going to talk about creating a an enjoyable company culture because that's what the book is about. And so what was the reason that you guys got together and decided to write this book? Brian, I'll tell you, we, uh, Chris and I, like like you and I, we we knew each other for several years on social media. And then Chris happened to be attending a, a, a culture conference in Chicago that, that I was speaking at. And we ended up spending the whole evening talking about exactly why change efforts, specifically not, not, just, not just culture change efforts, but um, efforts to improve engagement, uh, retention, employee referrals, productivity, all these change efforts were, were failing and it occurred to us sitting over a, a, a stake in Chicago that they were failing because it's a leadership issue. It isn't an HR issue. It isn't a, an employee issue. It's it's certainly not an issue that management can manipulate like we have for several decades trying to improve engagement. It's a leadership issue. And as soon as we got on that same page, we started comparing notes and um, several, several years and a pandemic later, we have... We have good comes first coming out. Awesome. Chris, how about you? How was that steak? Very, very good steak. It was, it was Chicago's full of fabulous restaurants, and we found a great steak place. And it it was it was a ball, but but the connection really was around how do we help leaders? And and that's been my passion. It's been Mark's passion. Um, my take is that we didn't realize just how timely. This idea of creating an environment where where team members are validated and respected for their ideas, contributions, etc., and just how critical it would be. Here we are in the in the great resignation and in labor shortage, and it's like you know what really we have a shortage of is respect. And if we can help leaders create an environment where people are treated civilly and treated with respect and validated for their work, then everybody's going to have way more fun. And mm-hmm. we've got proof. We've got proof. We can talk about that. 
That's awesome. And uh, in today's current environment, obviously, employment is a challenge, um, both for people that want to be employed and finding great talent. So why now? What What is different about this that makes today the time to implement this? Well, Brian, I'll tell you, when when we first, when Chris and I first started, we sat down, we're almost neighbors now. We're, uh, we're only an, an hour away in Colorado. And when we first sat down and talked about this, we thought, well, are, are people ready for this? Are leaders ready to listen to what we have to say? And, and of course, the conversation was around framing it just right so they would. But then this little thing called a pandemic hit, and, and uh, it was mid-manuscript, and it literally changed everything, right? We couldn't talk about leaders really need to let people work more remotely because now literally right now, everybody's working remotely, right? Unless you're in the hospitality industry, right? So it changed everything. Well, it also helped us create the why now question because the reality is that leaders right now, as we speak, are figuring out how to bring people back into the office. And they're asking themselves, especially when they get pushed back from the employees, that are saying, wait a minute, um, I liked being home when my kids got home from school. I like being here with my pets. I like taking my dog for a walk and finding sticks. And and I liked I liked being around for my elderly parents and, and my extended family. And and I don't want to I don't want to go back to the old normal. Compared to this, the old normal sucked. That culture sucked. And and stop, don't try and make us go back. Mm-hmm. And so leaders are really having a hard time figuring out, okay, how do we invite people back? But maybe it isn't the old normal. Maybe it's a hybrid model. Maybe it's a, a an entirely different culture. Maybe maybe we can show people more respect and focus on respect just as much as we do results. And so now is the perfect time for many leaders to actually take a minute, reflect, think about what worked in the old normal, what worked in the old culture. And what were the best parts of this new working environment and how can we combine those? And that's what the book helps leaders do is it helps them create that uncompromising culture where people are actually helping co-create the new normal. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I always say is normal is just a setting on a dryer. So the old normal is the old dryer that is way less energy efficient. And the new normal is the brand new dryer that dries clothes better and stuff like that. Does that work? I am so stealing that. Yeah, that yeah, that makes it does, perfect it sense. It does. Well, and I want to add, Brian, if I can, I want to add a slightly different take, which, which also heavily influenced us, and that's the younger kids coming into these workplaces across the globe. And, and we call them kids. I call them kids because I'm old. But Gen X's, Gen Z's, if you think about the classic autocratic command and control, my way or the highway, leadership philosophy, Gen Z's are not going to tolerate that. They're not going to put up with that. They want nimbleness. They want flexibility. They want creativity. They want growth. They may well want to work out of Brazil, right, and report to a project team in Tokyo. Kind of supports that. And so I think part of what has been an interesting realization with the Great Resignation is that people are not wanting to jump back to work because of the old dryer setting, because of the unfortunate frustrations that were common in the old culture, and they don't want to do that. And so as we think about by 2030, 
I think the most recent data I've seen is that Gen X and Gen Zs are going to be 65% of the population in the workforce. You can't apply these old concepts, which, by the way, weren't very good anyway, to, to this younger generation. They're simply not going to play in that sandbox anymore. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to the next point. And, you know, business has been built on results oriented, you know, think about salespeople, compensation, you know, bonuses, all those other things, the jelly of the month club, as a matter of fact, was <laughs> my favorite bonus of all time. But, you know, what does it mean respect versus results? I mean, yeah. you know, and how do you communicate that to yeah. Yeah. kids who don't even know that old way of thinking? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, if I can jump in, the idea of respect and results being equally important purely comes from Marks and my experience with good bosses or even great bosses. And that the idea that having a civil work environment brings tremendous benefits to problem solving, to urgency, to customer issues, etc. And so what we realized was that leaders were being given the charge to manage results. And that's all they invested their time and energy in. And they may have used lousy behaviors to try and inspire good results. But it was those great bosses that allowed us to have fun, to trust each other, to make mistakes, to share those mistakes, that we weren't going to get crucified because of a mistake. Those were the work environments that we really craved. And especially with the idea that engagement has been stagnant for 30 years. Globally, it's never moved much. There's been millions of dollars and hundreds of programs, maybe thousands, and engagement never moved a whit. But when we began to help leaders realize that if you invest as much attention in creating a civil workplace, a respectful workplace, a place where people aren't going to get demeaned, dismissed, discounted, all of a sudden you're going to see better results. And that's exactly how it played out. So what we really came to was... We can help leaders take a system of managing results, clear expectations, holding people accountable. That was always kind of the hang up. That's hard to do. We know that. But let's get clear expectations on being respectful to each other and let's measure those. And so that's where we're helping leaders really literally change the tone of their entire organization. So, Mark, in today's environment, getting respect based on you know diverse perspectives is tough right i mean you have to be willing to uh, adapt to somebody else's way of thinking right in other words you have employees that are going to think one way and employees that are going to think another way and you have to be able to work with a diverse group of people right well absolutely right and that and a, a big part and a challenge with writing a book titled Good Comes First is everybody has to define their own version of good, right? And so what we encourage leaders to do is sit down with your fellow leaders and your key employees and figure out what good means to you, right? So and a classic example right now, Brian, as some companies are saying good to us means everybody's vaccinated and you can't come to work unless you are. Right, but to another company, that's that's a violation of my personal rights, and they would never expect that, right? So, there, you know, define good is is the problem, and and even even defining respect is difficult because uh, when we when we walk 
lead us through the process of this um, defining of good, we ask them to, to write down four or five values and then define the behaviors that would demonstrate those values. And, and let's just say one of those values is integrity. Well, if we ask 20 people what integrity means, we're going to get 19 different answers. So we all have to sit in a room and figure out what, what that means within this context, within this company. And once we do that, and everybody agrees, that's one of our, that's our, fine, that's our value. Um, that's a, it's, a, it's a core value. Here's how, here's the behaviors that will show us whether you're living that value or not. And then we're going to measure those values. Now we get everybody on the same page. And it doesn't matter at that point what our educational background is, what our skin color is. What, what our what our uh, nationalities might be we're all now on the same page and that's the real goal we have to that's why defining good is the first stage of this process is defined because until we do that well everything's just open to interpretation we're no better off than we were before mm -hmm. and one of the things that i know working for big companies is they come in and it's like we're doing six sigma I don't even know what it means. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and they're coming in with this great plan and they've got workbooks and everybody goes through it. And then, you know, six months later, nobody knows what the heck it means. So how do you develop not only the, the culture of enjoyable, fun workplace of respect and results, but how do you keep accountability working from the top down to the receptionist? Yep. I can I can add some some perspective to that. One of the pieces that we make very clear is that leaders have, in managing results have been doing exactly half their job. And so the other half, which is managing respect, means you can't leave that portion of your work culture to chance or you get really lousy <laughs> cultures, sometimes even toxic cultures. And so the concept of Leaders must drive the culture means they must model those behaviors themselves. They must celebrate seeing those behaviors in others. They must measure, and literally, as Mark said, we define values in measurable terms per what the culture needs, per what good is defined for that particular company, but we help them set up a regular employee survey so that every leader gets feedback from their direct reports this is interesting on how well they're modeling those behaviors. So there is a, let's call it a, a, a batch of undeniable data about not only your performance and how you contributed to the you know, results that were needed, but how well you treated people according to our values. Now, that's an interesting place to go because number one, many leaders have never done anything other than managing respect, getting feedback that says some people think you're not trustworthy. That's an interesting bit of feedback. And so then Mark and I become, and we, in essence, try to build the skills to coach effectively in each of those leaders to say, now you've got something new to emphasize. And if you've got someone who's a great performer, but they're, they lie, cheat, and steal, that's an interesting cultural impact because it's not it's not going to go away. It's, it's going to stay. And so the idea of us helping leaders be not only intentional about their culture, but modeling it, measuring it, mentoring it, that completely changes the dynamic. And in essence, we talked about this yesterday, Mark, about sometimes people aren't going to want to stay. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you're going to, you're going to make me be nice to this clown. (laughs) I'm not, you're not paying me enough to do that. If you can't align to the values and the performance expectations, you can't work here. So Mark, how do you keep the people gruntled from going to disgruntled? (laughs) That's a great term, gruntled. I had to stop and think about that. So we talk about it in the book, there's, there's really four different kinds of people. We didn't use the term gruntled, but, but it's close. Um, when, when you do culture change, there's, going, there's always going to be the early adopters. They're all in. They, they've, seen, they've seen the need for this change already. They, they would be happier. They would be more productive within that ideal culture versus what we have now. They're, they're all in from the beginning. Then the second stage is the people that aren't quite sure, but they've had personal experiences that might indicate that, yes, we could change. And if this is real, if the leaders are actually going to live this process, model those behaviors, serve as role models, I can get behind it, right? Um, I can try, but they're not all in yet. And then the third set is uh, maybe um, gruntled, right? Like they're, they're pretty happy where where they are now, right? They're, they've been thriving. Yes, uh, maybe I'm a jerk, but I'm the top salesman and I'm making a boatload of money and I don't care who I piss off. Well, one of the things we say is behind every toxic culture is a toxic human being. And it's not always the leaders. It's, it's quite often our colleagues and our peers. And, and what we're telling that person is that's not okay anymore. And, and those people are going to go, no, this is, this is, this is not for me. I'm, I'm going to go work for Amazon where I can be a total jerk. And as long as I hit my numbers, I'll, I'll be fine. Right. And hypothetically, of course, I, hypothetically, um, not that Amazon <laughs> is a, right. you know, a high pressure right. culture. Or, or they could be in a Geico commercial. The old lady who stands up and says, that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. yeah. The fourth, the fourth group is the most precarious, right? It's like, I'm not going to say that I'm leaving but I'm also not into this culture at all. So I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to watch, I'm going to, I'm going to act as like my political role models did. And I'm just going to be divisive and, and I'm just, I'm, and I'm never going to align and I'm not going to change, but I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm going to change. And no matter how much coaching and mentoring we do to now the disgruntled folks that were gruntled, we have to show them the door. We have to, we have to be nice about it. We have to be respectful about it, but you, you are not aligned with our values. And in a good comes first culture, you have to be aligned to the values and to the performance expectations. It can't be one or the other. It, it has to be both or you can't work here. And, and so the people that go from gruntled to disgruntled, we, we let leaders know that it's okay to create some separation there and to let them go succeed somewhere else, but you're not going to be that person here. Awesome. So do you guys have any real world results around this that you can kind of give an example of what happened or how it changed? We can, we can. And, and we spoke a bit ago about some of the companies we cannot name, um, but it's been really fun. It's been everything from construction to manufacturing, to automotive, to pharma. But I want to tell you a little bit about World Kitchen. Now, World Kitchen um, was acquired about four years ago, but when I was invited in to help them with, in essence, relying on instead of 
old normal. Let's create a new normal. And this is a very interesting company, 6,000 employees globally, I believe, uh, manufacturing that did Pyrex, Corel, they did Chicago Cutlery, they did Ulfa, they did Snapware, a wide variety of, of kitchen kind of centered um, products and services. But they invited us in to help them formalize their culture and to help, in essence, to define exactly what the minimum performance expectations were for behaving respectfully. So they were using the performance language with respect, which fits very well. Mm -hmm. Every leader was immersed in a training program. But what was critically important was the modeling and demonstration and accountability from senior leaders. And these leaders were very, very, very visible. And I remember traveling to China to, to do coaching and, and facilitating with, with the teams in, in that hemisphere. Um, there was huge investment on the part of these senior leaders to say, we're not going to let our culture inhibit our performance anymore. And they had, I'll tell you, we had a wonderful conversation not long ago with the CEO at the time, who said the project was phenomenal, and the outcome was superb. So they saw that investment in culture as boosting not only the visibility of the company, but its performance, and they were acquired. And uh, I think they're now part of, of the instant pot empire, which is kind of interesting, kind of cool. But it really shows Now that was a three-year process. It shows, number one, that it's not a quick fix. And number two, it has to be driven from the top. So, guys, this has been great. I'm sure people are going to want to learn more about you guys and the book. So, Mark, why don't you start us off? What's the best way for people to get to find the book and to find you? Well, I, I will certainly ask everybody to go to goodcomesfirst.com, um, spelled just like it sounds. Um, there, they'll learn a lot more about us and a lot more about the book. And 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 then um, we, here's the thing. We don't want people just to go to the site and buy the book. We actually want them to take a moment to reflect and go, am I ready to take this on? Am I the kind of leader that can be this kind of change champion? And that's that's what goodcomesfirst.com is, is meant to do is inspire some some thinking before we ask anybody to buy anything. Awesome. And Chris? I would agree that that the reflection that we hope you'll you'll start when you go to goodcomesfirst.com is going to be a terrific place uh, to start to reflect on that. And you can find out more about me and my company at driving results through culture.com. All one word. Awesome. Well, gents, this has been amazing. A lot of good information in a very short period of time. Thanks for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. And I look forward to having you guys back again soon. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon.